Hello, everyone. This is Noah. And I'm Simon. And welcome to the Resolve Podcast. We're your resource for all things mental health, academic success, and personal growth. Devoted to helping students thrive and build the resilience to succeed in school and in life. Shaylee Hugendorm. So thank you so much for coming to speak to us about bipolar disorder. Let's start from the beginning. Uh, You know, there's people listening to it at different stages of their life. Lots of students are listening to this. Work us back to some of the early memories that you have that looking back now that you know what you've struggled with for such a long time. Tell us about what your experience was like early in this area. So I looking back, I real I can see it pretty clearly in my in my teenage years. It I just took everything a lot harder than everyone else. So if there would be like a breakup or friendship drama, it would take me a really long time to overcome. And uh yeah, you know, I really noticed too, looking back that you know, spring to about like October, I was like all the ideas, the funnest girl at the party, like hilarious, doing all the things everyone wanted to be around me. Uh, That's usually when if uh, there was any interest that I would get a boyfriend. And then usually by the end of October ish, I would start to get withdrawn and sad and just want to watch TV or stay, you know, kind of stay at home and want to be around people all the time, not stuck with my thoughts. My schoolwork would usually go down a bit. I was never someone that um, couldn't get out of bed and function. I hate the word high functioning, but that's the words they give you. But basically, I could still get out of bed. Uh, Yeah. And then that would usually be the time that people, you know, not the close people would fade away because I wasn't as fun anymore. And then it would go around. And then again, just around this time, in fact, I'm noticing it this week, I start to get it's like I become awake again. And, you know, everything's my sensory, like I sounds light, like everything is beautiful and uh, shiny and exciting. And I don't think the world sucks anymore. (laughs) When one of the things that I noticed with what I now would call depression is it didn't look like what I would see on TV all the time is just sad. Like I was very frustrated and bitter and just thought that the world like sucked and that a people like I was always reading into people's behavior like they were I thought everyone was mad at me all the time uh, you know no confidence I needed reassurance kind of clingy so those are kind of things things looking back but the problem is is that nobody noticed or anything because because it was just like, oh, you're a dramatic teenager, right? People chalk it up to that stereotype. My parents only had one girl. I was the oldest. So they didn't know that it might be extreme or that that might be something to look for. And now I've read a bunch of articles that um, that say in teenagers, a lot of times bipolar starts out because we we have it, it's like genetic and we have it um, kind of predisposed to it, but a lot of it comes out in anger and frustration. So that's something to really, really look for. And so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't recognize that. And I think, um, I think it's something to really watch for if you're thinking that, um, you know, you might have extreme moods. 
Yeah. Can you just tell us a little, so you've clearly outlined in, in, a, in an indirect way here that what bipolar looks, looks like, mm. especially yeah. bipolar one. Can you, can you just talk to us about, first of all, maybe define it just shortly. Yeah. And then, and then I want to hear from you, you described both experiences. I just want to hear, you know, how you understood, started to understand it as a pattern, like when you noticed, because maybe when you were going through it, it was more just like, oh, I'm not happy now. I'm angry. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it was hard to notice that there was a pattern. Yeah. Yeah. So there are, well, they say there's three types of bipolar. So there's bipolar one, bipolar two, and uh, cyclothymia. I think I'm saying it right. And uh, so bipolar one would be ex like the extreme high highs, like buying boats, making huge life altering decisions that would be out of character and also depression. Bipolar two is what I have. So you have a hypomania. So it's like a muted down version of mania. And then usually there's deeper depressions. So Sometimes people are like, oh, it's not as bad. Trust me, it's bad. And then uh, cyclothymia is like where you cycle round and round and round. So um, yeah, so I think that's why it was really hard for folks to know um, that I was bipolar or that a lot of bipolar people that have bipolar 2 are misdiagnosed because of um, it's it's not that high. I'm not buying boats, but I may be spending more, that kind of thing. And so- You're not like hurting it, people. No. You're not staying up all night, every night of the week and no. kind of losing touch completely with the reality. You're just in a much higher, I don't, I don't, I want to be careful and you always can correct me, but like yeah. in a much higher state of like appreciation of life and like things are just bright and blooming and beautiful yeah. and the way you described it. And, and that's great in a context, in a certain yeah. context, yeah. In, a, in a vacuum. Until it's not. Until, Until it's, it's not, not, because there's a huge downside. Can you, can you describe yeah. that? What is that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so for me and for a lot of people that I interview, we talk about it a lot. It's I'm anxious. But it doesn't look like scared of like the average anxiety, right? Like scared of things because I'm so outgoing or whatever, but I'm just like agitated and anxious. And it's very like you have this feeling like you're almost a robot. You're like da -da 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 -da, going really, really fast and you can't slow yourself down and you're racing thoughts and you're racing ideas and um i just have a whole physical experience too where okay yes everything's bright and all of those things but i'm like hot and cold and sometimes everything's too intense and i didn't have language for it before i used to call it my spidey senses but now i know it's sensory <laughs> sensory issues or sensory processing um but yeah so and then a lot of irritability and anger it's frustrating because people don't keep up you think people don't have as good ideas as you and you want, you think everything should go your way. It's this really weird thing where I feel like I know it's like, I have a secret, like a secret power. I know more than others. So I dismiss others ideas, which doesn't help with relationships. And um, yeah. And I feel really irritable. Also, you start a bunch of things that you can't finish or, and then I always talk about like, because you say things or you're, you can't, I can't not say the thing, even if I know it's mean or hard. It's like, it, it doesn't feel in your control. And then later, like you have to do the apology tour because you've, you know, offended a lot of people. Um, but yeah, that's how I experience it. And 
just like and this is the uh, hypomania experience yeah the hypomania and I want to shop and I think those things will like transform my life like my husband can always tell if I'm like throw out all the food we are now organic and if we don't do everything organic we're probably gonna die so we like this is an immediate urgent now or I think like a, a wardrobe or I, I start I when my kids were little and I was really hypomanic and I didn't I was getting like two or three hours kind of before I got really bad um there used to be these things called infomercials youngins yes. I'm, I'm aware shopping. I'm I'm in the middle generation here I think you're yeah maybe, there you go yeah shopping channel there was a shopping channel and we couldn't skip it so you'd be watching it and I'd be feeding like my babies in the middle of the night and I would be like that tank top or that what did I buy I bought this like weird stretchy head thing that would hold my kids because we traveled a lot to their chair that sounds terrible but just to keep them straight up when they so they wouldn't slump over and I thought like I was like this is genius and I bought like four and then they showed up and my husband is like what is this this is before and on Amazon it would be even hard like oh it's, it's... no zero <laughs> purchases after 8 p.m oh yeah zero purchases for me wow wow yeah so that's kind of what it looked like for me but I wouldn't like I know friends that have spent all their money right but I would probably do like maybe a $200 spree do you know so it didn't seem that um out of character or extreme but and I was praised for a lot of things because I can get stuff done right like task boom 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 and because you don't sleep like I could clean I look like I had it all together and more but really nobody knew what I was feeling inside so yeah is it kind of like you described think really a nuanced perspective on it so it's not this higher than life only there's some really just even in the mania hypomania itself there's a lot of yeah. um, tension and negativity a, a heightened sense of egotism as well and and oh. I'm kind of greater than and hard to relate to people aren't that aren't on my level I'm guessing there was that like you know Kind oh, of yeah. Like, yeah, it's like you're vibing and people are not. Yeah, your, grandiosity, your right? I remember one thing so embarrassing. So I I thought I was like a matchmaker and I lived in this complex and I had a single friend and another single friend. And I went like I went to both of them and I was like, look, I can see your future. Like you need to go over there. Like all, this big, huge thing. And luckily they were nice to me, but I had to go back. It's so embarrassing. Like it's almost you, like, it, are you almost? drunk in a way does it almost almost you're just you're more you than have inhibitions I would yeah. I would explain it like that but you just yeah it feels like you have this secret to things and like you're an expert in things that you have no business being an expert in wow 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 and and just I'm gonna want to come back to that but tell us yeah. about the transition so mm. life is on a high intense kind of scary level almost yeah. out of control but yeah. you're kind of like smiling but it's oh no like especially if you've yeah. experienced it before you know that there's something coming it's like your your battery's about to like yeah completely run out what yeah. happens yeah so uh everything kind of dulls and for me it's it's not immediate but it's like over maybe two weeks um going down to the depression the mania happens overnight hypomania but overnight so completely like 
Yeah. Like I'll wake up and I'm like, I actually wake up because I take, uh, in with depression, you sleep way more and all you want to do is sleep. Right. And now diagnosed, I take a medication that makes it very difficult to get up in the morning. Um, it's worth it for everything else it helps with, but that's a huge hard thing. And so I notice right away when I wake up on my own before like nine or 10. Right. And I wake up and it's just, it's, it feels like a lifting. And I feel lighter and there are long, I, I want to be very clear that there are long periods and it's called euthymia, which is just, there are long periods of balance. Like, and sometimes it can be years or months. So usually I would go down to just a, a balance and then it would slowly dip downwards, right? I could tell in speaking negatively, I wanted to sleep more. I didn't want to, I don't want to do the things I normally do. I like ghost people because I just, I, I don't want to tell them. And, and I kept it very quiet because I, I didn't want them to think like that I wasn't fun or I didn't have it together anymore. But and it's like all the mundane things seem impossible, like feeding myself and like all of all of those things. So, yeah, so that's that's a slow one to depression. And then once you hit. So and how I'm long like, does that last for you most of the time? Yeah. So this is pre-diagnosis. It's kind of different now, but pre-diagnosis, it would last until Christmas. And then there'd be like a little blip, right? Because it's exciting. And then by like the end of the second week of January, it was horrible. Like mm. just, there is no point. And I would feel, I wouldn't, and um, trigger warning, I wanted to, uh, we'll be talking a little bit about um, suicidality and uh, thinking and ideation. I wouldn't have known that it was suicidal ideation because I didn't want to actually die, but I wanted to sleep until I felt better. So it was kind of like disappearing and reappearing because I knew there would be an upswing, right? But I now recognize- one so I wanted to hibernate for a little while. Yeah, and not like- I did not want to experience that. Like that experience was was horrible. And another thing to watch out for, and this came up a lot in my teenage years, is during the depression, I almost I get eating disorderish. So it's like I can't control anything. But when I get depressed, I would count every calorie. I would I I would I had a binge eating disorder just during those like four months. So it would like restrict binge guilt, restrict just, it would, it's like, almost like I had to hyper-focus on something and that would be the thing. So that confused people as well for a diagnosis because I'd get diagnosed and then another eight months of the year, I wouldn't even think about it. So I found out later that that's very, very common in, in bipolar disorder. So if you're someone struggling with an eating disorder or, um, you know, over exercising or those things, maybe, uh, you know, it's time to look into what's behind that, whether it be depression or something. So I did experience that as well. Wow. And so I want to ask you, and, and you can tell me if it's not a, a good way to ask this, but what do you like about the hypo, it, the, about the benefits of it? Because it, it's mm -hmm. almost, I don't, I don't know how you're handling it now. Maybe this has to do with the type of therapy and the support that you get, but yeah. just tell us about your, how your relationship has evolved with hypo, hypomania. What, what, 
how do you relate to it? Are there parts of it that you love or like? Is that wrong to ask? How does that work? No, it's not wrong to ask at all. Um, so since my, so I was diagnosed in 2010. So I was like, I don't so maybe you continue your story and then it will help us illuminate. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. So I was like 32. Numbers are hard in my 30s, small 30s. Um, I was diagnosed quite late. So I'd lived with this for like 15 years. So medication wise has almost completely taken away the deep, deep, deep depression. So I get periods of it and symptoms of it, but nothing like before but the medicine just slightly mutes the hypomania. And so it brings, what the medication does is it brings me down enough to have reflective capacity, right? Because when you're in it, you it's so visceral and immediate um, that you don't, you don't have that and you don't feel like you have control. And so um, now with, uh, with that, and knowing my signs, right? Whereas before I didn't know it, it seemed like it came on sudden. Now I can see there's signs. I have a list, like once I start, stop sleeping. Once I start, you know, talking more rapidly, getting more ideas, it's something to kind of prepare for, right? So I have things that I do. So when I can do those things, like immediately I work on my sleep hygiene. If I have to take more medication, if I have to do some dark therapy where I, you know, hang out in uh, darker spaces, uh, try, just try to bring myself down when I can keep that in check and I can do all the things that help me cope. I can harness um, some of the hypomanic energy into good. And if I remind myself of, uh, you know, what my goals are or my lane is or, um, so when I get the 500 project ideas, I remind myself, like, what is the thing you want to pour all that energy to? Because otherwise there's unfinished projects. And in fact, a good thing we, I wouldn't have my podcast if I wasn't a little bit hypomanic. 2020 hit and uh, my friend Julie and I, we were like. And it was around we were, March. Yeah. Yeah. We were going to do, it was, there's World Bipolar Days, March 30th. We're like, oh, let's do a collab. Maybe we'll do a live on Instagram. Da, da, da. We got it, the world shut down. It was a week later and we got on the phone. By the time we were done, two hours later, we had a show. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, and it, we put it out by May. We had a couple of weeks, we had graphics, we had everything. And it was a beautiful thing because we could pour all that angst and uh, jitteriness and stuck at home into something, into something beautiful. But we had to be careful because we had to bring like focus our idea in we had to check with other people is this manageable so when I can harness it I have done really cool projects and things I would have I have confidence to do things that I never would before but um unmedicated uh, I don't recommend it and I mean we judge people that go off their medication but I can completely see why because yeah do people choose the life like if are there people that say you know what you pathologize this, you call it bipolar. That's your perspective, but this is life and it's worth it for me. This is my life. This is how I am naturally. I don't want to change. Is that, is that a perspective that people have? Yes, but I think they crash and burn. I don't think it's It's not sustainable. There's a rare person that, um, and especially it's apparently worsens as you get older, but uh, there's a very rare person that can do, you know, just take care of it with the supplements or exercise. All those things help. But um, bipolar disorder is it's the 
interesting thing about it, it's very ancient. It's very like it's the same all around the world. Can you tell Whereas, us about you know, the ancient? Can you maybe you know oh, some yeah. of the history? So tell I, us. I, that's, that's exciting. How I, that's how I think it's cool. So I'm not history and Google this and please don't call me an expert. Facts are hard. But in the fact that it's never it's ancient in that it's been around for so long and it's been the same throughout right and so whereas other ones evolve or they can be like it's not a trauma-based um uh disorder right it's genetic or you'd be predisposed those kind of it's not it's very rare and it's not like it doesn't trauma can't bring it on you were already predisposed to it wow. right yeah. So that's kind of where the ancient part comes in. I, I try to find anything that makes it sound a little bit, a little bit better. And so I kind of, I kind of like that. I thought it sounded kind of mature and cool, but um, yeah. So even in all countries, you know, different diets, different ways of living, different cultures, the, it varies a bit, but the symptoms show up the same and the same amount, like the same percentages of people have it. And it usually presents in very similar, similar symptoms. Is it also like um, generational? Is there a connection? Yeah. So there? there's, yeah. So there's a 30% chance that my children will have, um, will develop. They're also, they're predisposed to bipolar disorder. I'm the first one that has uh, sought healing in my family. If I look I will not name names, but if I look in my family, there is def. I can think of a few people that are undiagnosed for sure. And you get misdiagnosed with depression all the time because yeah. people don't understand hypomania and mania. And so, and a doctor cannot diagnose you without those. And in fact, um, I don't blame them, but I went to my GP cause I was always searching cause I always knew there was something wrong. Like I wasn't someone that was like, oh, I'm fine. I knew I didn't want to feel like this. I looked around, I saw other people didn't live this dramatically. And so I went to my GP with some Google stuff and I'm like, Hey, do you think this is a possibility? And he isn't an expert in that area and full on said, yeah, you have a degree. You're a good mom. You have this you've held down a job you are not bipolar and that put me behind 10 years wow wow i think that it's really important when you have a serious concern to always to ask just like you would ask a this is a side point not to you like yeah. i'm not lecturing you but yeah, yeah, yeah. if you are you if you have a f physician some are incredible incredibly knowledgeable about mental health it's always helpful to say can you get me a referral to a psychiatrist even if you have to wait a yeah. period of time um yeah. they'll be able to assess more accurately yeah. just like you would ask them to give you a referral to a cardiologist yeah. or whatever for um, sure for sure and if you're in crisis because here's the thing it's a pretty long wait if you're on the list and what happens here in Canada a lot and that's what happened to me it it gets so bad that your only choice is to go to the ER and I am telling you go yeah right because yeah that's a, mania, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hack get to the yeah. ER hypomania leads to mania which can lead to psychosis and you have zero grasp on reality then and um so that was my only choice because I was in it was getting bad it was getting borderline to the point where I wasn't it I was getting unrealistic and it didn't seem like I was all all there and so my only I actually went to emerge I was hoping that they would just give me Valium but you can't just ask for Valium. It doesn't really work that way. They have to give you an eval. So um, yeah, I I went and they didn't um, admit me to the hospital. But again, if that's what you need, go to get the diagnosis. I, I know it's not 
not ideal, but I living how you're living is not ideal every, anyway. And you don't want to blow up your life. Like I just, I know it's shown so terribly on TV and I know people have had terrible experiences, but sometimes that's the, the only option and, and the best option. So I just want to take away the, the stigma from that. I was um, able to go to a short stay uh, treatment place. And so I went there because what actually made me that high was I was given an antidepressant and antidepressants are a no, no for mood disorders. That's because so, they, You mean for, for bipolar or for. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. For any mood disorder on the mood disorder spectrum. And you usually get them because you're treated for depression. Well, right? The only thing that I just, I have to say this yeah. for the anxiety yeah. though, many people take um, SSRIs. Um, so, but so, so it is, for bipolar, it's a totally different medication yes. stuff, but sometimes for anxiety, depression, people do take similar meds. Totally. Okay, totally. Okay, okay. And I'm talking specifically about mood disorders because okay. those, I know people that take, you know, anti SSRIs and or um, anti-anxiety medicine and it works wonders. And mine did until it didn't. Right. So bipolar so, is a totally different world. And totally. And the medication, and, is it really life-saving for you? Oh, yes. Hundred percent for all of the things like I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give it back. I can see though how people go off it because when you're so depressed, I can't remember. Uh, you know, I romanticize it when I'm depressed, right? Or sometimes I'm like, oh, I could get more done, or I haven't had good ideas in a while. You think like that, and a lot of people think too because we're such mostly very creative folks. I mean, look at all the pop stars and the artists and the Van Goghs, right? Um, think that it will take away their creativity. And it does change things, but I feel like, I don't feel like it takes away all my creativity. It's a fear, definitely, mm -hmm. but I don't feel like that. And in fact, it helps me put my creative things out in the world because I'm, I really believe I'm more like myself on my medication. I, I do. And do I absolutely despise the fact that it's extremely difficult to get up each morning and the first couple hours in the morning are it's I can only explain it as almost painful to get up but it is worth it to sleep it is worth it to sleep and so um yeah and that's something to 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 watch for especially if you're a student right and um, high school university because you pull these early classes and early and it's terrible yeah. Yeah, just I know it doesn't seem seem important. And I know um, that it's really hard to do. But if you notice really erratic sleeping, I, I just I, I suggest you just try to at least get several nights in a row of, of good sleep because it completely not just with bipolar, game changer. It, it, it really is. And I like scoffed at it for, for a long time because I am a night person. I like to steal the night. I like it being awake when no one else is awake and I pay for it uh, the next day. And so sleep hygiene, so, so important. You'll be a, a, a better person and it won't trigger things that are already there. Yeah. So in terms of what you're talking about, this creativity that hmm. somewhat gets muted with, with, with the medication. Um, mm -hmm. and you, and you said Van Gogh. So I'm, I'm just wondering, there's maybe, maybe it's a pop culture thing, but there's this idea that the manic state is like something out, out of this world. It's like almost a, almost a drug. You yeah. don't have that anymore. 
Um, and you, you, you said kind of you can miss elements of it, but how do you um, sort of force the creativity, not force it, but bring it, bring an environment set, just like you mentioned that there's things that you do when you know it's oncoming, the hypermania, yeah. and you have your tools and your strategies. How do you both tune it down when you need to, but also figure yeah. out a way to channel what's yeah. there? Yeah. So I think it took me a while to, I had to wrap my head around the idea of, yes, I was really creative, but I wasn't actually putting much out there in the world because I had too many ideas and too quickly. And my executive functioning, like a little bit here, there, and nothing was getting done. So once I was able to just kind of really uh, think about that, and I had like, I had proof, like I was like a detective, like, think about this, is this creativity working for you? And really, honestly, I'm putting out more creative things now, because if I can harness it into one thing, and get all the ideas about that one thing, then I can, you know, I may not work like someone else, I may not work very sequentially, but I work in my own way and I can produce beautiful things. So I think sometimes it's almost like you romanticize how creative you really are, right? And I mean, we see this, I don't want to judge or whatever, but you see this like with Kanye West, right? Like doesn't take his medication because he wants to be creative and he's putting out good music, but blows up all these other parts of, of his life. Is that worth it? In, in my opinion, I just, I just don't think so. And so, yeah, I think just being on the medication, having reflective capacity, having people around me checking in, Hey, does this seem doable? Does this seem like something that, you know, that I can sustain right in the future? I always think about future Shaylee, <laughs> like is future Shaylee going to be able to finish what <laughs> right now Shaylee is thinking of. So I guess, I guess that's, that's how I do it. And I really, it took me a while to, to come to that. Do I miss parts of it? I wish I could bottle up the, just the confidence or just, uh, you know, just the um, energy for sure as I get older, but it doesn't, you can't isolate it. And it comes with too much of um, just the other symptoms that, that really affect connection and relationship. And yeah, you have all these you know, half done cool things, but your friends don't like you and you're yelling at your husband, right? It's not worth it to me. It's a big cost benefit. And what you're really alluding to, which I think is also a maturity of creativity, is that it's not just about infinite ideas on the sidelines. It's actually about the follow through. And the deeper you get with an idea through actions that you take and create, it takes on a massive life and it becomes sort of infinite, even though you've narrowed it down. So in reality, you're more creative because you're pursuing singular focused goals. Um, yes. And so you it's it's the real creativity, which is creating. You're actually yeah. creating. You have a podcast, you have a following, it's, it's there. But you've also alluded to something else that I really want to ask you about is that when you were in more of your typical bipolar two sequences before yeah. diagnosis and medication, mm. that in the 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 role of people in your life for example yeah. you 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 mentioned that they're not it was harder to connect with you 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 were a little bit aloof and higher than and maybe then you were really isolated but then you talked about in this state now that you rely on people to be sort of a, a wise mind a reality yeah. check for you yeah. and what are the role of other people in all of this um a in terms of getting support being able to yeah. be open about it but also in terms of keeping you in check and 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 making sure you're your best self how how does that work 
Yeah. So before I was friends with everyone and I wanted to do everything. And so I was not a good friend to many, right? Because there was, I spread myself thin and then ghosted people. Right. And so uh, just being able to, uh, just being able to, that took a long time, right? But just being able to hone in on uh, folks that were interested in, in all of me, right? And interested and stuck around. And that I felt that I could tell and they didn't get scared. Because I was pretty open because you don't have a filter when you're hypomanic. So I would tell people like, hey, I'm going to crash or whatever. And then they'd kind of be weirded out. But um, it took a long time to find people that were saw me and not just, uh, you know, the the illness. And so how that plays a role. And I found uh, my husband who just just stuck around and got, you know, understood uh, the core of who I was and could tell when I'm when I'm not. And I just found. Yeah, I found these people, I started just weeding out people that were like committed to misunderstanding me and just wanted to be there for the exciting times. Right. And yeah, I just had to find people. That didn't have your best interest at heart. Almost. It's almost like they wanted you for your energy in that moment, but you're, but the energy was so toxic that they just wanted the most toxic parts of you. Yeah. Like I am super fun to go to a party with when I was like that, like I am fun. I am a, amazing wing girl right people wanted me I we met everyone and so but yeah it just it just it was people that were there for me when I when I would crash people that would just sit on the couch and I would say nothing um that that just really really yeah just really stuck around and were understood that I didn't like that there was going to be drama (laughs) And just that I didn't mean everything like they could see the the core of who I was. And so, yeah, it's huge. And the one thing is when if you don't have those people that you trust, you don't listen when you're hypomanic or manic. I feel like, yeah, you just don't get it right. Like, I feel like I know something. It's like, yeah, okay, I'll slow down. It's like, you know, I just feel like they're life ruiners. (laughs) But now that I trust people that I have my best interest, I can check in on them and they know my symptoms. So I trust them when they say, Hey, you know, you've sent me 25 messages in the past three hours. I'm thinking maybe something's going on. <laughs> and then, and I'm then like, you don't get as defensive there. Cause they're like safe oh. people that you they're, yeah. they're watching out for you. They're on the lookout. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if I, I don't know if, all of those would have blown up in if I didn't get help. Cause I like, I'm very loyal and I, I just, I would do anything to my own detriment for, for friends. So yeah, it, that's a hard one because it took a while. It took a while to find them. And I had a lot of turnover, right. Because of, because of people not wanting to, to stick around. So But yeah, finding people that you trust and knowing they have your best interest and making like I have I had a note, like literally, listen to your husband, you're not going to believe him, but listen to him. And this is why and this is what happens when you don't I write, like I have so many notes in my phone, like reminder, right? Because in that moment, uh, 
yeah, you don't, you don't see it now I can with medication, but before you, you just feel like they're trying to ruin everything. And now you understand that they just have your best interest at heart. They're not there for the party. They're just totally. And people that validate, like validate first, if that, if I could give that advice to anyone that loves someone with any mental health disorder or any struggle, like the magic words for me is that sounds hard or that must be hard, right? Boom. My nervous system feels better. My shoulders drop. I'm like, yeah, it is hard. And then like, ask, what do you need? Right? A lot of times we help people in the way that we think they need help, especially people that are younger, right? Like we know best what's for younger folks when really, you know, that's doing even more invalidating and that's just causing more harm, right? And sometimes we don't know what we need, but I know some of the most beautiful things people have said is, hey, like I want to bring you, I noticed you weren't eating much. I want to bring you this food. Is that helpful, right? And because when I was depressed and a lot of people um, I was going to church at the time were bringing food, but they wanted to come in And like, give it to me and have a conversation that wasn't helpful. And then the thought of having to return their dishes and thank them. It was like so stressful. Just take your food. I don't want it. But friends that that asked, I could say, would it be okay if you just dropped it off at the door? Or when I do it now, I put it in, you know, containers that don't need to be returned. And so it doesn't take pressure off. When I text people, I say, hey, just checking in, no pressure to answer. Right. So then I find those kind of things much more helpful, helpful. But if you validate first, you're going to be able to get through to that person more, right. Than telling them what they need or that they're a mess because <laughs> we're not going to listen. And this is really important advice for caregivers. Um, and the people listening, the younger people that are, you know, maybe listening to this and relating to some of your experience, what's the some of the first steps that they should take right now it sounds like definitely talking to your doctor yeah. um, finding a psychiatrist what what do you recommend and how do you recommend talking about it to to loved ones and in a way that maybe they can understand if they're if it's harder for them to understand initially yeah yeah i think yeah i think finding uh you know starting with just one person that you trust right and if that person doesn't take you seriously keep keep trying, right? And chances are your best buds maybe start out with telling them, but then you have to find a trusted adult because they have more access and can get you more access and can advocate for you. Um, I know when I had my husband come along, but back then I probably would have brought a friend along that understood or that was helpful so that you're not alone, right? And I even, I find writing things down are a lot better because I get all stumbly and then I I don't want, when I notice it's uncomfortable, I'll take everything back. So sometimes it works to, to write it down. So it gives someone like you could write a note to your parents and, and list how, you know, how you're feeling, ask a friend to help you make that list. Right. Um, I think that that's, that's just really important. And if someone doesn't believe you try again right? Try again. And you know yourself best. If if things feel off, do not be afraid to ask for help. And I have so much hope 
for the next generations. Like even my kids, like my kid will say, oh, I have a therapy appointment or my kid did a project. Um, I didn't even know on bipolar and like in front of her class, like my mom has bipolar. I would have never done that. So I think it's getting a little bit more uh, normalized, but yeah, tell someone if you have to uh, write it down and just keep pursuing. And if like you're depressed and too exhausted to try and find someone that will come alongside because sometimes that feels, that feels too huge. Right. And I really think connecting with people online sometimes is the first little bit. And I know that can be misconstrued, but find people talking about the same things to start because that's one of the beauties of the internet as the danger is that it's so segregated into very specific little cultures. Yep. Yeah. But But if you find some people that somewhere where you can speak it aloud is going to give you more uh, courage, maybe in real life. Right. Like I get messages all the time. Like I've never told anyone and that, you know, it's such a relief just to say it out. I mean, write it out loud. Right. That's no, no. Surely that is saying it out loud because writing. So there's an idea, of course, that, you know, especially younger people that they're texting a little too much in the sense that they have less physical face-to-face interactions, dealing with facial expressions, the awkwardness of being young and being comfortable. There's all these side issues, but writing an email or a text could be also looked at as writing a letter gathering your thoughts, reflecting them in a way that's unfiltered by the reactions of others, getting it out there, and then giving people also the chance to digest and chew and then respond. So there's a way to use the technology in a healthy way. And you just made the point that really online. So two things that you said are really important that I want to echo. Number one is that if you reach out to family first and they don't, and they, and they're a little bit rejecting or hesitant. Yeah. It's very easy, especially if there's other conflicts to just kind of throw your hands up and say, I tried, they don't get me, they don't care about me, they don't understand. It's easy to do that. It makes you feel validated about in in a sense of I'm right and I get it. But really, um, sometimes it's really hard for other people. It it may take three, four, five, 10 times. And everybody has limits and we don't want to, and and some families are not supportive, I understand. But just that first reaction to just try and then get rejected and then run away and that, and this justifies my perspective. And yeah. Take a, a few more moments to explain it. Also going online and finding a sub-community like the bipolar community online yeah. um, might be that some of your first steps. And then you said something about having buddies, people that um, can advocate for you. Advocate for you because not you don't always have the energy to do it. No, not at all. Yeah. And then one thing I would say, like if you have gotten your diagnosis. One thing I interviewed this um, author named Sharice Jewell, and she said that the way she tells people, she says, did you know that I live with bipolar disorder? Or you could say, did you know I live with anxiety? If you're really wanting to tell someone and not knowing what kind of reaction, because it's such a beautiful thing, because the person could say it gives them a second and it gives them something to say, like, oh, yes, I'm aware of that. Or I know someone or something like that. Or, oh, no, I didn't. Right? Instead of you don't seem bipolar or you don't like saying the wrong thing, it gives an opening. And I like I use that forever now. I'm like, that is fabulous because you're, you're also giving, uh, you know, it's very gracious to, to another person to give them 
initial reaction, right? And so that's, that's kind of how I start. And you know what, when I told people, I practiced, I had like a couple sentences, like I practiced what I would say. So when things got awkward, or uncomfortable, I didn't want to walk away thinking, oh, I didn't say what I needed to say, or I didn't describe it properly. I had and I had a couple, like I had a more detailed one from people I trust. And then I had one, if if someone just like found out or was wondering and not in my inner circle, I would have, have something. So I don't know, that helped me. I don't know if that would help anyone else. I mean, everybody's can take, there's so, you've just shared so many different things that people could, could look into doing. And I hope if one of the thing lands, another thing will land. It's just great to have the information. The last question I want to ask you about treatment. So you mentioned medication. What are, and, and, and I know that uh, we maybe we'll link some resources as well, but what is, have you done any, had any success with any types of therapies um, from, from bipolar and what would that look like with bipolar? So I have had um, success with, with different therapies in the beginning, having someone that really understood uh, a mood disorder was so helpful because I had therapy before, but it's very different. Like telling me just to journal when I'm hypomanic, like that's like telling me to go to outer space. Like it, it's not, po- it's not a possibility. Right. And so I think understanding that going to someone that understands. So now if I do like a lot of therapists will do a 15 minute interview, I'll ask them if they know, because sometimes I felt like I was almost teaching about bipolar and I get it. You can't be an expert in everything. I'm a substitute teacher, not good at grade seven math. Right. <laughs> But I found that once I found that, then things like the one that validated, oh yeah, people get eating disorderish when they're depressed. Like this is this is a thing. I was like, oh, like finding someone that understands that. And then um, also I found ones that broke things down into bite-sized pieces and then would send it to me. Because a lot of times um, we have trouble with a working memory or, It's just so intense at the time. So someone that would do a follow-up. What I'm finding really helpful now that I used to make fun of (laughs) is a lot of embodiment. And what I mean by that is um, I have talked and talked and done a ton of talk therapy. Very important. Very important to start with, right? But I now am seeing a therapist that has me, um, where do you feel that in your body? right? Really working on my nervous system, because we live in a jacked up nervous system, right? All the time we, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm being chased by a bear. A lot of the time and my body reacts like it is, but really, I'm trying to make a choice, right? That's my body, I can can't talk my way out of that. So doing a lot of those things, like, I've been taught how to do like the tapping, right? I've been taught how to do different breathing. I've been almost given permission to to do things that work for me and exploring that. So uh, if you're a student, for example, I used to think this is how people study. They read and they highlight and they will learn it. That never worked for me. If I could teach someone, boom, I've got it locked down. So like I just said, journaling super important and when someone can do it you give her but I thought journaling was just writing down and sitting and being contemplative well what works for me is I have uh, video apps that I talk to 
right? And you're, or, you're speaking it out. I'm speaking it out, right? Because I can do that. I can't like sitting down and writing is very hard for me personally. So I would find, uh, you know, ways to, to do things that worked in the stages that I was in. And so, yeah, but the embodiment stuff, I mean, I think a couple of weeks ago, this is going to sound bizarre and you are all welcome to make fun of me, but it works. I had to talk to my own anxiety, right? And just realizing like when it showed up and just realizing that I always fought against it, but realizing that it showed up to actually help me and keep me safe. And then it stayed. And now I need to learn to live alongside it instead of spending so much time trying to get rid of it. I I wasn't functioning properly. So that type of therapy, my advice would be just be open and try different ones, right? And feel free to break up with your therapist, but go at least three times. <laughs> go at least three times because you sometimes you don't give someone a chance, right? Go at least three times, but you know, try try different things. I used to think I used to think like I fail at mindfulness. I can never be that. That is unattainable to me. But then I realized like three minutes count, right? A couple deep breaths, that counts. I don't have to sit in the position, uh, you know, that I could never do. Now I can do yoga, which is awesome. Before I would be, if I was in a room, I would be like, where's the exit? Where's the exit? I couldn't sit still. So I think one, having someone that understands that understands your your disorder and listens to you right and then just finding the type of therapy like you might be in a space you need talk like you need cognitive behavioral therapy where you're you know redirecting thoughts um and then sometimes you might need some embodiment so i think it depends where you're at but give things a chance but i give would it. say most importantly yes. is finding a therapist who specializes in bipolar disorder. Oh, 100%. Whatever the modality is, when you are asking for help, just saying I need a therapist is like saying I need a doctor. Yes. And it could be that you need a doctor for this, 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 that. Yeah. Therapy direction should be specific. Yes. Um, if you are struggling with bipolar, look for a bipolar specialist. Yes. And be don't be afraid to ask questions. Like I would have never asked about, like can we meet for 10 minutes on Zoom and like almost like interview. It's okay. Like, say your needs, like, do you understand, like, have you worked with people with OCD? Have you worked with, like, do you have trauma-informed training? Do you have, like, I never asked before, and then I would sit there and I would be frustrated sometimes because I'm like, I'm literally teaching them about, <laughs> I'm paying to tell them about, and and I didn't know, I didn't know, but that's, you're 100% correct. Find someone that understands your disorder, <laughs> for sure. And, and just words of hope, uh, anybody that's really struggling, uh, mm -hmm. either feeling out of control or feeling super low, um, wherever they are in the cycle, what would you want to say to them? And what would you want to say to, you know, imagining yourself at that age and trying to talk to yourself from the future? Yeah, I think the, the first thing that I would say is you are not alone. You are not alone. You don't have to be alone. You are not a burden. And you deserve, you deserve help and hope and, and love. And I don't know when, and I don't know how, but I know there can be brighter days 
and or if you're hypomanic, there can be more balanced days. And I think uh, I would just say the world needs you. Um, keep showing up. You are so, so loved. And I would just say that if you can't find hope, find someone that can hope for you until you can find that light again. That's what I would probably say. Okay. Thank you so much. We would like to definitely, we'll put in, maybe, maybe you can share with us some more resources of, there's probably sure. so much out there, maybe a couple of things that we can share with, with our students sure. who are, who are looking for their first outreach. They can, and by the way, sorry to do this to you. Uh, you can also send a DM to yeah. this is bipolar, not yes. to give you more responsibility, but, no, I love it. And but if someone sends you a message, I know that at least you'll read it and hear yeah. someone's story. Yeah. And you can find it at, at this dot is dot bipolar on TikTok and on Instagram. And yeah, I read everyone. Sometimes it takes me a bit to get back, but I'll read everyone. And um, yeah, if you look through, there's discussions on everything. And I think if you find yourself in there, you'll know to maybe look into into bipolar disorder for sure. And I can send some content creators and educators to follow. And there's magazines that are specifically for bipolar disorder. And yeah, I can round up some information. Thank you so much. And of course, a disclaimer. This podcast and all of our mental health learning and educational content is not therapy and is not a replacement for therapy. Please seek professional help if needed. Go to www.resolve2v's.ca to get the support you need. And that's all for now. We hope this was helpful in some small way. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a five-star review wherever you are listening. Make sure to keep updated with all of our content on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And of course... Come check us out at www.resolve, that's resolve with two V's, .ca, to learn more about how our services can support your needs. Till next, next time, time, take, take care. care. Theme song for this podcast is done by the band Mokuse no Maguro in their song, Midnight Empty Street. <laughs>